All right. Hello, and welcome to Empathic Futures Lab, the show about designing human-focused futures for the environments we live and occupy and interact within. Uh, we put live in before, but I feel like we do a little bit more in that. Well, talking about. <laughs> anyway, uh, my name is Christian, and I'm Chris. And today we are talking about talking. Talking about bias. Uh, bias. Yeah. Talking sort of a follow-up question or follow-up topic to last week's um, foray into media and news and advertising and and the likes. Uh, I think this is a sort of a natural follow-up to that, maybe focusing a little more on bias, even though we sort of touched on that last week. Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess we did sort of start with that media thing yesterday and or yesterday, last week, and really digging into why um what's a good way to put this of, of why people think and we have prejudices and subjectivities uh and for different things and so i think like you said this this will work well as a pretty good follow-up to that right um, right i guess one thing with bias that i was kind of doing a little bit of searching initially, but you type in bias, and I think one of the first things that come up, well, maybe the first two big things are media-related and artificial intelligence-related. So all of my, at least, you know, in, in the last couple of years or so, or year, I guess, that, that's sort of been like the really big hot, hot topics that it's been focused on. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that I pulled up for this was related to artificial intelligence. So that's kind of the position that I'm coming at it from. Okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't really look too much in the artificial intelligence side. I, I was kind of more from a, uh, how, do we, how do we design around this sort of, right. sort of way. I, th- I think in terms of following up last week, you know, we were talking about news sources and, and how we get our information. And it just kind of comes to mind it's like, where is this sort of inherent to what we're doing? like bias, right? It's, it's sort of inherent. It's like a human, natural human condition. But I guess we've kind of talked about this too in, in slightly different terms, but like is, is this a designed phenomenon in a sense in terms of how we've designed our media, designed, that the, media, designed the way that the media comes up with and uh, purveys topics and ideas to the people streaming that content, uh, consuming that content. I guess, at least now, maybe it's it's the way we talk about the media and the way we talk about AI is is very much linked. Yeah, and one thing that I was wondering when you start talking about like, is this just something we have to deal with? Is you see a lot of professions, and like the first one of the first articles I stumbled upon was about psychiatry, like forensic psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is this kind of strange field that I had no idea really existed. But at a general level, they're, they're introducing the idea, and there was another article in the science-related fields, where all, in media too especially, where all sort of have this idea where objectivity is desired, is a desirable thing. Yeah. And, and then they all have these problems, like how do we deal with biases? And then I wanted to compare that to architecture and where bias is almost the desired condition it seems like where a subjectivity for one thing over another is is what makes good architecture supposedly yeah um 
And I think that's really funny that you have almost, it seems like almost every profession under the sun uh, feels this way until you get to architecture. <laughs> well, I think it's inherent to things that are somewhat artistic related, right? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And then, uh, it's going somewhere with this. Sorry, I disrupted your train of thought. No, 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 no. And my, okay, so the first, the first question, okay, now I remember where I was going before. It's like bias, okay? So we, we always have this, this idea that it's a bad thing. And architecture is like, okay, maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's just the way in which, you know, someone kind of expresses one thing or over another. I mean, obviously there's bad biases, but, and prejudice, I think. Prejudice towards, you know, favoring a group over another for particularly offensive reason, I guess. Right, right. But do, like, how do you distinguish between what is a good bias and what is a bad bias? Like, do we have categories for these things? And I think that's a question that we might have to ask ourselves. Hmm. That's an interesting point. Because I I think you kind of have to come back to what what are we trying to accomplish in the end, right? Uh, if if the if we're, what we're trying to accomplish is sort of unvarnished truth, then maybe you want to limit bias as much as possible and, and just sort of portray things as they are. And then maybe you come out at the end and explicitly state that this is sort of my own opinion and, and this is how I think that we should go about doing something. But I think that's really tough unless you really try and nail down like what your goals are if your goal is to be more about art and aesthetic then maybe it's so maybe you're, you're explicitly looking for bias right someone is hiring frank gary because he is extreme he is biased in some way in how he goes about designing right um but that but that's sort of going for some unique end result where bias is desired so yeah, i think you have to like explicitly state your goals i don't know if there's really a good or bad bias though necessarily I think it's just kind of being upfront about what you're doing. Well, so one of the things that comes up a lot in, in terms of what might be a bad bias, there was this article I think was published this week or last week. It was about Amazon's uh, resume reader tool, okay. recruiting tool, okay. um, supposed being biased against women. Okay. And what drives me nuts is this entire article they're saying the tool is biased but then then they say well it was trained on a certain amount a certain type of historical information right like so it's the historic it's the input that was wrong Mm -hmm. it's not the tool it's the input Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's what you're giving it right and like everyone wants to say artificial intelligence machine learning whatever term you want to give it because apparently it's like a constantly moving uh, field goal thing. Um, everyone wants to say, oh, this thing has bias. Social media has bias. Well, it's the content that you're putting in that sort of gives these results. And, you know, social media, I think we're becoming more aware of the results that happen from overuse or uh, misuse. But does anyone go on Facebook and think that if if I post like I don't understand how you go on Facebook and post something stupid and then expect not to have sort of sort of poor result from it? What do you mean? What do you mean? Who's posting? Like you're posting some status on Facebook, or you're posting an article on Facebook? I mean, what are you What are you talking about? 
Like some like these things with Twitter and the echo chambers and that sort of nonsense where you post something and maybe it comes back to haunt you in 10 years or whatever. What are you talking about though? Like posting what? Just garbage. Just what is the define opinion. what are you Just posting a, a status or you're posting an article? Yeah, status, not not someone else's content. I okay, guess. okay. So my, my what my point is is like Everyone wants to blame the platforms or the algorithm or whatever else, but my question is, is it is that so much the problem is the content that we're putting into it? And it's just sort of a reflection of people. I think to to just I think to call it a reflection of people is sort of sort of disguise or or misrepresenting the power that these platforms have. It came up we we talked about it last week that uh, not everyone sees the exact same thing, right? And you have no idea to, you have no idea who's seeing what or even how to approach someone because you don't know what content is going towards them. And I think I, I really like I don't trust necessarily anymore. I was scrolling through my Instagram feed for probably a good 30, 40 minutes yesterday in that section where you can go into your uh, what does it look like? It's like you can go see what your activity has been recently and what you've liked, and then you can click the other thing and, and, and check who you follow and you can scroll through that. And okay. I was wondering yesterday, like, do I actually see everyone's posts as they post them? Because recently Instagram had this thing where you like scroll and it says, okay, you've seen all the new stuff. Here's all the old stuff, right? It has like this clean break. Right. Um, and that's sort of bothered me a little bit. I kind of like the endless scrolling nature of it. Even if I'm like, once I get to the old stuff, I know I got to the old stuff, but like, right. But like now I don't really trust Instagram to, to show me everything. Um, well, they don't. That's what I've heard, but I went through and I just started scrolling through and checking, okay, I, I follow this person. Clicked, have I seen everything that they've posted? Yeah, I, I, for everyone I clicked on, I think I had seen everything they posted, except for uh, maybe a couple. So I, I had definitely missed a couple posts. But, you know, that, that strikes me as weird. Or on Twitter, um, there was a point where they stopped showing me stuff chronologically, but what's great about Twitter is I can go on Twitter and change my settings so that it does show me stuff chronologically, so I have that on. And every right. time I see Facebook switch it off, I turn it back on, because I want to see things chronologically. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. Maybe it's because I logged into these media networks before they started screwing around with your timelines and such. But it bothers me when things like LinkedIn and, and Instagram turn that feature off. Okay, um, so that's a good example. But you, know, you're, you're, you don't know what you're seeing and what you're not seeing, right? And I think that's where the the people have this question about are they abusing power now you're absolutely right i think to say that there's a lot of crap and there's a lot of bias in terms of training data for these algorithms i'm not entirely sure that that's the case for social networks though mainly because for social networks they're getting the the, the point of these training data is to get more clicks and more visibility. So it's training you to like or training. Well, it's training from you. It's training from you to see what you click on and it just gives you more of that, right? So that's where the filter bubble comes in. I think where the biases come in is recently, I think it was Bloomberg Magazine. I'd, I'd, I'd stopped, I stopped my subscription to them, but Boom, Bloomberg Business Week or sure. whatever. Um, but I saved a few articles that I was like, or a few magazines where I was like, okay, I want to read the feature article in these. And I, I recently started going through and actually reading on some of them. Um, and this is like months too late. Like I just finally read the one on pa Palantir and it was from like April or something. But anyway, 
it was the reason I bring it up is because in that uh, they were talking about what how Palin, Palantir I think I'm saying that right is it's basically a startup started by Peter Thiel to sell to the defense industry essentially and and the government industry but they've kind of realized that that can't be their only product so they're trying to move into the civilian market as well but in the meantime one of their big products is for police police no police stations police departments in cities and they're basically starting this data mining product where they follow people around and say like okay who is spotted with who and what car who is it who is this network surrounding criminals and if you're like spotted next to a criminal or in the same car as a criminal then you're kind of flagged as a person to watch and and they basically and like that that kind of training bias or training data is extremely biased and i think that's sort of this garbage in garbage out thing that you're you're discussing right and that's that's a lot of these articles about artificial intelligence uh that um i started finding Right. And it, I think that there's one that was Amazon facial recognition encourages or about law enforcement. So that one right. was kind of directly related. Right. Well, the Wired one, that one on the interview, they were talking about data has context and the context is basically all of human history, right? And uh, I thought that was a really good point because if you're, if you're taking this data, right, especially like go back to this police data, right? All this data is biased in terms of if you're in a criminal world and you're you're flagged as someone who hangs out with criminals, but then you think about the African American population is incarcerated at a much higher rate historically. So you're training it off of data that is historically we know sort of biased against one certain population, the black population, right? Um, and then you're spe- feeding that in, and then the results come out as of course that's kind of reinforcing this trend. So yeah, the structural problems there are very much reflected in that data. So I, I mean, to me, it seems like there needs to be much better checks into into how those systems are initiated. And in the article, the AI and ethics one, ethics transplant, I guess is what it's called. They they discuss bringing players to the table that are going to be able to answer these questions about what are these biases and. Um, inherent things that exist within these systems. Right, right. And I think I think that's probably the smartest thing is just bringing these people to the table and, instead of assuming that you know these people over in Silicon Valley, like you said, are probably best at just manipulating people's attention instead of having them, right? You know, kind of look at these problems. How do you get people to look at the problems and be able to make decisions that? Are, are much better equipped to do so. Right. I mean, it makes you wonder, right? Like, how do they create these tools with these training sets? Like, do they, when they build it, uh, an algorithm, say, Palantir for, for this police, and they and they build this algorithm, like, where do they get this training data? Do they just buy this data off of police departments and from the government and feed it in? Yeah, and location starts to matter a lot then, too. Right. So you're buying this data, feeding it in as a computer engineer, so I guess maybe unless you have consultants like this article brings up up on the front end saying, hey, you're feeding in biased data, you don't really know that you're training it on biased data because you're not in that industry. You're just in the industry of making these tools and consuming data and spitting out stuff, right? Well, on one end, yes. On the other, I think it would be kind of foolish to assume that the data you're using isn't biased. Well, okay, okay, true, true. 
But maybe um, maybe you're not quite as in depth. You don't have the same in depth knowledge of where these biases are or the nuances of these biases. Yeah, and, I think right? the nuances and the finesse is is really where that starts to come in because it's not about just knowing that you have bias information, but it's about how do you knowing and understanding and designing how you correct for that. That's that's the biggest issue because right. if you don't have the entire historical context for why those issues exist. And you're gonna get a crap result, right? I guess, right? No matter what, no matter what you do, right? Or it's like technically speaking, a very good result, but you know, it's extremely biased, even if it's like a technical marvel, right? And so then that brings up another question. And this Amazon thing says that they kind of resorted, and you think about Flux.io when this happens, they resorted to a system that is much more watered down and just kind of provide some insights every here and there in terms of the the uh the resumes that they get right so that brings up the other question is like who's so you you have some sort of control on the front end uh but you know you also need to control on the results and who's actually overseeing uh the results and under you know interpreting what this thing is saying so I, I think there's there's definitely additional layers, and there's probably someone that needs to oversee the, the execution as well. Right. There's, there's, there's you know, just in terms of jobs alone, there's a lot of opportunity, because we, we talk about artificial intelligences, but then now we're understanding that you need a lot of oversight and checks on these things. Right. If you are gonna take out some of the rote tasks, that, or we think that we're gonna eliminate some rote tasks, but maybe introduce new ones. Right. I mean, it's like this whole thing where you're eliminating costs by automating as much as you can. But by automating as much as you can, you lose so much of the nuance and, and the the historical understanding of of what's going on, actually. I think that was something that was that was brought up in this Palantir article on Wired or on uh, Bloomberg is that they were talking about, you know, they're in order to cut costs and make this tool financially viable to the government or to the police departments to use, they have to take out as much engineering as they can so that the government doesn't have to pay these salaries. But in order to do that, you're you're coding this thing out as just like a black box. So you, you sit out there and you say, make these decisions based on this data. So I think that brings up right two things. A, somehow we have to stop this cost-cutting initiative where we get rid of as much nuance as possible and automate as much as possible. And then on the other end, it's like, we really badly need to come up with some sort of explainable AI that yeah. that tells us the results. I don't know if you remember. I think it was last year with that Wired article on Facebook. They had like a whole uh, a whole section on people who go through and flag uh, information as as bad information or fake news or whatever, and and you have to sift through all this data. But they have to keep it really small because they don't want to pay all these salaries. Right. So the one thing was about cutting cutting engineering or nuance out of it. And I guess my question is, I, I feel like a lot of the time the algorithm probably understands the nuance really well, but it's not self-correcting like people do. Yeah. Or should. Right. Like it, it probably finds nuance that we can't even see. And, right. And can't explain it to us, like you said. Right. But knowing at what point you introduce that self-correcting measure and understanding that the intelligence understands the nuance the same way we do it's there's so much and that's where there's so much that's needed 
in terms of like training this thing uh, in a system. So then for me, that brings up a big question about general intelligence versus these very specific ones that are more typical right now. Does a general intelligence start to understand those nuances better and can self-correct rather than something that's trained on such a specific set of information? Like, if I'm going to train an intelligence about the air travel and who does air travel, do I need to tell it about incomes and backgrounds and histories of every pe- every person that sort of is traveling by airplane? Right. Uh, in order to understand routines better, I guess. So, I mean, that's that's a really crappy example. But I guess the, the question is, is, is how much do you have to expand the information to start to trim bias? Because yeah. one thing that I think is done a lot when you build teams, um, at least the idea is, is that you build a diverse team so you have a diverse background right. uh, to make decisions by. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. So if you have a... Rather than having a homogenous background. So, like, how much more effort has to go into training a system than we currently do? Right. Diversity of information maybe gives it a better sense of what relationships matter and what... I mean, that'd be... That's a lot more information to have to explain later, too, but it's probably worth it, right? And that's a lot more information to have to vet up front, too. Right, right. So, like, to me, that sounds like the the more you can train the system, like... Sure, you can you can do some facial recognition, but if all you give it is pictures of faces, what are you going to get? So, versus like training it against like backgrounds and histories of those faces and everything else, as well as just the facial right. recognition right. itself. Yeah. So, I mean, someone un- suffered some unfortunate accident, and they've been their face has been maimed or whatever in some way. God forbid. But what is what is the facial recognition going to tell you about that versus you know somebody else who is considered to be a celebrity and yeah has a nice face yeah i think that's a good point uh there was something i read recently they were talking about there's that paperclip making machine idea where we don't necessarily have to make an evil ai we just have to make a, a maniacally uh obsessive AI over one task, and it, that, and even though it seems benevolent, it'll like it could potentially take over the world, right? There's that. Uh, so the paperclip example is, you have a paperclip making machine, and it's optimized to make paperclips as well as possible, and like eventually it decides that humans are getting in the way, so it gets rid of humans, and, only, right. and then it makes paperclips more and more, and eventually it fills up the earth full of paperclip making machines, so it sends people out into space to make more paperclips. Um, <laughs> And and basically it's like, yeah, that's a huge that's a potential problem. But their their conclusion was kind of similar to yours in that if the AI becomes aware of context, then maybe it doesn't make the same decisions. Uh, and yeah. and the ethics behind this maybe it's a contextual problem. And right. providing and that, some sort of and, context. And and that's that's kind of how our brains work, right? Right. We, we work based on context and environment. Right. Uh, as, as well as some nature, but maybe I mean, we have human nature. Maybe that's kind of more um, significant than things right. that are a little, I don't know, a little bit individual uh, regarding nature. But to me, that, that starts to maybe, because I've always kind of been questionable of anthropomorphic intelligences, and to me that starts to 
say maybe that starts make, that makes more sense. If we want intelligences to be benevolent, they have to be like us in order to make decisions like us. Right. Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be like us. It just has to understand context in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, not necessarily modeled very deeply after the the brain of the human. Right. So uh, that's that's all like intelligences and. I think that there is a lot of bias that goes, obviously there's a lot of bias that goes into how intelligences are, their machine learning systems are developed um, right. because, of, because of the information that gets fed them and just because you're self-selecting what information goes in. Right. If you have a really diverse team building these things and a lot of that starts making sense and there was, there was this article that was really funny about men disagreeing with bias in terms of in the sciences and it was it was a little stupid not the article to think but what the article says about men in science are disagreeing with the facts and then finding like fake news articles that support support <laughs> them and and what is supposed to be the most objective of professions i guess yeah so and it, it just it, it got and that one and others kind of went through AI hiring one went through a series like just describing the ways in which systems are sort of set up to be almost monocultural in terms of like right. professions. Right. Well, okay. So, so I think that bringing that up, you, you, I think, yeah, there's been a, I've, I've read quite a few things about the monoculture and, and, and sort of self-selecting again in a way that's like confirmation bias or the way that I think it's been proven that humanity is, is much more into positivism and like seeing things that they agree with as opposed to i don't know if positivism is the right word for that um but confirmation like things that promote confirmation bias right is is sort of how we tend to uh to do things um whether that's through uh building this sort of reproducing culture in a business that uh which i'm sure is really useful at the start of a startup but then eventually probably gets in gets in its own way eventually kind of like that uber thing where it's like that sort of competitivism maybe is what brought it such initial fame but then it kind of stepped on its own feet and and eventually sort of brings it down and, and becomes a negative but uh, so my point with that is is um how much of that is sort of this if, if we're talking about confirmation bias and, and our tendency towards doing things that we agree with or, or hanging out with people who are similar to us and and, and comfort in that level and, and we consider that as like a human nature thing is there a way we can design out of that is this a design can this be a design problem or is this inherently a human nature problem because I, I think in some ways it's a design problem because that's how you know facebook twitter instagram are designed right you're you're trying to build on this confirmation bias to get clicks to get views but that's also in some ways a design problem because that's how we've set up the business model it's exploitive isn't it yeah it's a little exploitive well, okay so um, then those exploitive systems have been designed. So we can design the opposite of them, right? Right. But then you think about it, it's like, in some ways that's a human cultural thing. To design... Uh, so that's to about wanna... achieving the most value for the least amount of work, right? You're gonna... You're, you're trying to get the most clicks, the most views for as little effort as possible, or to, by showing as little content as possible, I guess. Perfect. By spending yeah. as little time on there as possible. You want to maximize time in order to have them viewing monetizable information at every second they're on there. Right, and that's, you know, media's done that. Obviously, like, 
the analogy I was going to mention was about um, food. Like our food is designed to make us eat more of it, <laughs> even if even if we shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. McDonald's, you know, cookies, whatever else, they taste too good. Yeah. A lot of the time. So that's probably a really good point. I hadn't have thought of that. <laughs> well, it, that's just I don't know because the way you were talking, that's sort of like, what are these other things that kind of work similarly? Yeah. Where it's it sort of preys on our nature to do something that's not necessarily good for us. Yeah. No, that's a really good way of putting it. Preying on our nature. But uh, so, how do you design but, out of this? Well, I mean, obviously, like everyone, you sort of know that eating unhealthy and eating McDonald's every day, even though it tastes great, um, and it may not even make you feel that bad, but it's not good for you, right? Yeah. You know that. You know that watching the same news channel, I mean, I feel like most people know, watching just one source of news information that is considered to be biased isn't good for you. Yeah, but that takes a certain certain amount of self-awareness in order to do that, right? Uh, I was just thinking, like, you could show people the same two different sides of everything. You could try and be as unbiased as possible and say, here are both sides of this issue. But even if you put both in their news feed, there's absolutely no way to get them to click on both. And even if they click on both, there's no way that you can get them to sit down and view both, right? Um, well, here, there was um, one of the articles I was reading yesterday was about media bias and people's perception of media bias. Yeah. And it goes through and it says, well, conservatives are considered to have a more biased take of particular media sources but you know liberals were also biased too so everyone's biased okay right um towards you know particular sources but when you took out the brand name people were less biased so i think i think there's definitely like considerably less bias and i don't have that article because i was once looking at it on my phone yesterday not on my computer Well, I, I read it. You posted I found it. That to be really fascinating, and I think the same thing could go for McDonald's, or Oreos, or whatever else. Like uh, there was when I was in this um, the class industrial design, we were talking about like how do you get people to eat healthy? Uh-huh. Well, half the battle is just making healthy food look as good as the other food. Okay. And perception, right? Right. Like it's it's just a trick. So we, we like kind of trick people into not knowing where their news sources come from, and, and maybe they'll maybe they'll read more useful information, uh, or more unbiased information, or believe well, I mean, believe was, articles that are contrary to their own opinions. Maybe. Well, that's, that brings up like a reasonable question. Like, if if your news is news sources are super self-referential and enforcing that brand over and over and over and over again like Fox and CNN do. Right. Then should that should that be almost taboo or I mean should it be more taboo than it apparently is because I think it's I think that is like the worst thing you could do personally, but if you emphasize your brand over the actual information. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate that. I hate going to a news site and everything they link to is themselves. Yeah. Drives me nuts. But should that be maybe not taboo but almost legislatively wrong yeah would be my question because i mean particularly when you're on a news site these links are pretty easy links are nice and easy yeah um and what's nice about wikipedia it self-references it's like it has links within itself right and that's great for that but it's it's built by a lot of people 
Yeah, and it cites sources at the bottom if you really and, don't and believe it. And it cites sources. Like, it's significant amount of sources. Right. For, for a lot of things. So, I mean, that's great, too, obviously. And in terms of bias, if we talk about Wikipedia versus, like, Fox. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and it's interesting and that you come back... It's interesting that you come back to this sort of legislati- legislative or regulatory thing as opposed to it being like a private business solution. Because I, I was coming to a similar conclusion. I, I didn't come, from it, come to it from the same direction you did. Uh, but I was coming to a similar conclusion uh, that maybe it needs to be some sort of governmental regulation uh, in some way. I don't know what the right answer is. Maybe what you just brought up is, is a good way of producing a right answer and, and mandating that anything that's called news has some sort of cited, provable background to it. Uh, I, I think that might be a good step. But I was thinking, like, in terms of even if one of these news sources or, like, Facebook or Twitter or one of these social media platforms took the step to, like, try and reduce bias on its platform, it's never, you know, it, those might be, and especially in the case of Facebook, really big in terms of meat, uh, in ter- terms of market share, right? It could affect a lot of people, but it's never going to affect 100% of the people, right? They just don't have 100% of the market share of news. So... Right maybe in terms of something that's this big and sort of society wide like this a societal problem maybe we need to go to the government regulatory route just because that's the that's going to get you the closest to 100 percent market share on this well that makes me think about ways in which data sets are built like is there is there a way in which the transparency of building data sets coming from the government can be done kind of like an RFP process. What do you mean? Like government puts out someone, some company comes to the government looking for some sort of data set. Right. They have that, but they're like, maybe this needs to be updated or we don't have that. Or my, my point is, is there kind of being a channel for which data sets are, are, are you are given to companies like private companies to train on. So that there's like a, a, a medium that these things have to pass through, a, a filter. Hmm, hmm. And whether that's public or not, like governmental, I, I don't know, but I mean, it could exist at different levels. Like yeah. you, have, you have this organization that exists at your uh, civic level, your municipal level, the state level, right. level, so forth. Um, right. Kind of like these uh, chief, what is it, like the, the tech, guys that are in cities what do they call them chief technology officer of like cities yeah, or yeah. kind of like that but instead of you know just building functional stuff for cities or or is is there a real because like when it's done for profit it's going to be done for profit right produces money right. but it, if it if it comes from a different location like we discussed last week where you where this data set building thing is done through a channel that isn't for profit how much different is right. our results and can can you actually have active like public participation in building right. information sets that get fed into machines well i think okay so this is this is where uh the free market sort of private businessman in me kind of takes some issue to that in terms of as soon as you regulate something as large as the data set or mandate it goes through the government or the government releases it 
does it be, does, yeah does it become too slow to be useful and not only that but does it become too slow to spark innovation like if if some company comes across some new new idea that they want to sift data through uh, they would want to knock that out really fast before someone else swoops in or or a bigger company gets access to that um, not that I think that the government regulation should go away I wonder if there's ways that um, if you're going to build a giant algorithm like that, your data has to be public or has to be public. Maybe it's like uh, uh, a copyright on the data or something like that, where it expires. You ha- you can you can use this data set privately for like one year. And then and then after some reason, like, reasonable like, amount of time and slow. Like, what? like uh, why not just public? Why not just public? I, I, I think... Like if if the algorithm's private, why can't the data set right. be public? I think that's a good point. Um, I think if we did that, we'd have maybe we'd have to worry about something like uh, Facebook or Google making less money. Um, not that that's an issue; they make a whole lot of money. Uh, but maybe that takes out some of their incentive to give their product away for free. Um, of course, people can start to pay for that, or maybe there's something you know. There's all these new uh, companies on the blockchain. Uh, to use one of the buzzwords of 2018 again, uh, that try and like charge companies for using your data. So I'm sure there are ways around that. I think, but we want to. I think I'm all for the government stuff, but we want to make sure at some point there is at least some incentive for companies to make money. I think it's a balance. I guess I don't know what exactly all the regulations that came out of Europe recently regarding right. private data. The GDPR, whatever. Yeah, 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 I have no I idea. don't know what all those are, and like, who actually the um, the generators of data, individuals, like, if if it gives people like full ownership over their information or not. Yeah, I don't know. But, so that would be something that would be worth looking into because that's another method. It's right. just giving people that control and and letting them decide. Right. But who I th- gets to yeah. use that. But all that aside, I think making public data relatively public or more or less public so they can sift through and, and the public or research institutions can find the biases, I think makes reasonable sense as long as we can somehow keep, allow the companies to make money off of that somehow still. I think that's reasonable. Maybe it's just enough to say that you make money off of your private algorithm and that's good enough. Maybe maybe they make enough money off of that. Yeah. Um, well, there is... There was at least a couple times I was digging through articles and it mentioned different watchdogs or something that right. were, uh, you know, questioning how how these things were ran uh, regarding algorithms and stuff and like where what what is that data that's getting fed into these things? Right. Well, and, and even on the business side, I remember um, I haven't read that. Stratechery in a while by Ben Thompson, but I remember when there was all that debate about Facebook and the European regulation. I, I might be wrong on this, so if don't take my word for it exactly, maybe corroborate that with his writings. But I think at some point he uh, he was going on about how deregulation of data would help kind of loosen Facebook and Google's control because maybe more startups would have information access to that data if that data was all public. Um, and now it'll deregulation. Deregulation of the no, or regula- regulation of the data. D D I don't know, secrecizing <laughs> the data. Uh, uh, so that so that all the data is public and then people can and then new companies can start to jump onto that and use it. 
Um, and he was saying that regulating the data more tightly would kind of to halt innovation because it would kind of entrench Google and Facebook in their positions because they just own the data already. So regulating what they would be able to do with it versus saying you just it's just it's just for everyone. Yeah, uh, I think his argument was maybe it should just be for everyone so that everyone can build tools off of this data. Well, that makes sense to me. It does so, make sense. Yeah. But it's I, the question is, is how much money are these companies making off of selling that? Yeah. Yeah. And then and how hard will they fight to have that? Oh, they're going to lobby that a lot. I would think yeah. they'd lobby it a lot. Um, and then, and then we haven't even mentioned the whole point of it's someone's data at some point, it's a data describing a person. So if you're giving all that data away for free, what all this person's data is just floating around on the internet for free. Yeah, the census. Yeah, I suppose maybe this is why, why isn't this just part of the living census? Right? Well, that's an interesting point. Why isn't there just a living census about people that, Everyone, the government knows everything about you at any given moment. Yeah. So that's that brings up another question. Would you rather have the government with all this information and be completely exposed or just have Facebook have it and them making money off of it? I don't know. Maybe I'd rather have the government... Maybe... I don't know if it's necessarily that I would want the government to have my data as much as it might be in my interest for my data to just be publicly accessible rather than Google just selling it to the highest bidder. Because at least at that point, uh, everyone can comb through everything and sort of the public becomes the watchdog on this uh, this stuff as opposed to you don't really know what's going on and what the data is used for. Right. I mean, so so that brings up a question. Like there's, there's these public data sets and, and when a company wants to buy into some of it, they have to say what they're going to use it for and they have to... They have to give like a plan for the execution and everything, and I think that I think that introduces a check that could be pretty valuable. Yeah. And they have to like follow through on that execution, and there's someone to watch that's being executed properly and everything. Right. I wonder um, if that's what people on the blockchain do. I, I again, I don't know enough about that, but isn't there the idea that? You have to fill in information for its use. Well, no, that if you access, right? There's that whole thing about if someone plays your song as an artist, you get paid for it. If someone uses your photograph, you get paid they for it. So just if you're... did something for this recently. Like Kid Rock signed something in the Oval Office this week, I think. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Um, but like, is that is that how it works with data? That if your data is out there and someone accesses it, you get like a one, one millionth of a cent or something? Um, but you can track who accessed your data because it's just publicly out there on the blockchain. And then eventually, if your data is accessed like a million times, you get a dollar. Um, that might be like a really good way of introducing some sort of... So, okay, on one end, I think that introduces some sort of like universal basic income to yeah, an extent. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's but, an extent. But that also means that some people are a lot more valuable than others. So those that are less valuable, maybe their instances their instance of uses are more valuable than someone like Kanye. Well, no, because wouldn't you think that the most usable data is just any anonymous data, right? Because well, you I'm want information about like sellers. A person on a street, what data are they, they don't have, true. maybe they don't have a smartphone. Like, what are they producing? Okay, they true. They answer a survey at the library every once in a while? True. So so if you're, you're, but yeah, so you target someone in the middle class if you're selling a middle class product and maybe the less 
fortunate have less income because they don't get targeted by sellers or whatever. Right, but yeah. so, but then maybe their information is actually really valuable to a lot of people, and so the the scarcity of their information is actually more valuable. Right, I would think their information would be valuable to someone, right? Um, well, no, Trump... I think it would be valuable, but I think you have to make it more valuable just to kind of give them a fighting chance. Maybe. I mean, I mean, then you think about um, the Trump supporters and this this Cambridge Analytica stuff. They went after a certain profile of person. And this profile person is probably someone who lives in the middle of Kansas and doesn't make much money, right? So if this person's data is getting accessed over and over again by these machine learning machine learning algorithms trying to build a profile of Trump supporters, this person's going to get paid by that, right? Uh, same with the poor inner city person who votes for Hillary, uh, or the poor college kid who votes for Bernie. Their information is going to get accessed by that, right? There's always a niche. So okay, so but here's, I think here's a thought. Here's a thought. Do you do you have a system in which you can say it's like a stock? Like someone can buy into my data if their price for my data hits this level. Yeah, maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe maybe you set prices for your data on the blockchain or whatever, um, and they go through and pay for whatever data. And someone's data is worth three times as much. And, and yeah. you would think that the most worth the data that'd be the most worthwhile is the data that can apply to the most number of algorithms. So maybe that's the middle class. Maybe that's just anyone who makes between like 40K and 100K a year or whatever, or lives in like a city or the suburbs and makes a certain amount of money. They're just like the middle class. Does this reinforce like a lot of problems that already exist? I don't know. I think that's a good question. I, I think I think your point about maybe this is the new universal basic income is a really interesting way of solving universal basic income is how many times does your data get tapped but maybe that yeah, makes you a slave to like the people that universal basic income should be for it just makes me wonder how often they'll be pinged yeah. for yeah. their information so it's like i'm sure there's some sort of scholar out there that wants to know like be able to have this distributed survey model for homeless people in, in, in city center areas, right? Yeah. And sure, they may do that. There may be like five of those people every year, right? So how valuable is one person's information then? You know, yeah, if you're right. trying to do this universal basic income thing, can those people charge a lot more? Yeah, because there's less people like them. Like, do you have caps for how much certain individuals and certain tax brackets can charge? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I like that. I mean, maybe the middle class makes the... Yeah. Okay, so you think about it. Like, the middle class like might be charge, the... Can Kanye only charge a little bit because he gets pinged a lot, right? But why would Kanye get pinged a lot, right? Like, For why... music or, or whatever else. But right? why do people need to access Kanye's data? I would think that the data that's the most worthwhile would be the data that gets that is useful in the most number of surveys. And to me, the data that's useful in the most number of surveys is the middle class because they're the most average or the most average person is like you know some white guy in the middle class right because that's who would fit the most number of facebook algorithms that's who would fit the most number of amazon search requests in terms of advertising or the most number of i don't know i'm selling headphones to someone and and i need to put that on uh, someone's internet or I need to sell plane tickets and sell advertisements to that they would be the person that gets pinged the most in those algorithms right Kanye doesn't they don't care about Kanye 
because right, he's an outlier. He's an outlier. Same with same with uh, homeless people. They're outliers. Right, but that but so like, so okay. That population doesn't. So then we get into like the whole marginalized population. Right. Thing, okay, right? but here here's my question for that: is if you introduce if you introduce payments or like pay scales or you can set your own price the middle class in order to get pinged maybe they because they'd get pinged the most either they put their price really high because they they know they get pinged the most or they have to put it really low because that's where there's the least scarcity right and the outlier is the ones who get paid the most because they're the outliers and there's the most scarcity there so maybe kanye gets paid a bunch but maybe also homeless people get paid a bunch because there's less of them or poor people get paid a bunch Mm. right so man there would be a lot this would be quite the system to figure out yeah well yeah yeah it'd be really cool it'd be it would be a really cool experiment uh we'll see what happens with that but maybe there's something okay, like that so coming. currently we pay people for surveys and people do this yeah and but, google does this but we don't pay people to search stuff we don't pay people to click on facebook articles and that's where most of the dating data mining comes from right right but you can so you can go to a google page and just do surveys and i don't even think it's all google i think it's just any company yeah amazon amazon turk so that's that's running through a private company but I, i don't think that's what this is i think this is like it's not taking surveys this is like taking people's data in terms of you viewed this article you viewed this product you viewed walked around this city because right, we have CTE right. it's, vision it's, of you or whatever. Right. It's, not, it's not active data. It's passive data that's valuable in this sense. So and if your passive data gets accessed, you get paid. Okay. Right? I don't think it's surveys. All right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. So, so then you don't have to necessarily do anything out of the ordinary. Right. So I guess the thing that would come back to haunt us potentially is then do... If, if services like Google or Facebook have to start giving you like however many cents every time they use or however many fractions of a cent you, every time they use your data, are they going to start charging for their services because now they're paying out? Uh, and then the question, is that okay? Or do they refine or do we just say it's been free forever, we're not going to accept it and they have to come up with some new way of financing themselves, which is also okay. So they still finance themselves right now through advertisements. Right. Except we don't see any of that money. We pay, we get their service for free because they can access our data and they make money off of our data. But suppose they make one, maybe they make like... They make money off of companies paying them to advertise to us. And and then Google gives them information about us. Right. So, like, if Google makes, like, two cents every time someone accesses our data, we make zero cents off that two cents. But maybe it's okay. Maybe maybe we can convince them that if they pay us one-tenth of a cent and they get two cents every time someone accesses our data, that's a good enough profit margin for them, and they just keep it for free. Right. That's, that's my point. Like, all you have to do is introduce the, the, the generator into, into the mix here. Yeah. into like you just have to put yourself in as the the middleman right well not the middleman the actual generator you're well, generating google is the middleman in this Google's case the middleman so we just have to you know knock google off its pedestal and google i think that's did. the claim that this sort of web 3.0 based on blockchain is that's what the claim is is they're going to knock out the middleman in that way or at least 
take a punch. Or, or, or yeah, or at least punch the middleman. Right. Take a swing at them. So like Facebook, Google, Amazon, they get all this great information, consumer information, attention information about people for free. Yeah. Because we get the service for free. So that's a good enough trade-off. But hey, the service is pretty exploitive because it's it's a for-profit company and it's working with for-profit companies to kind of do their thing. So is there a way to bring ourselves into that transaction, I guess? Right. If it's going if it's going to exist this way, allowing people to be a part of that transaction, does that have significant value? Right. That's the question. And I wonder if you could start introducing a tax into that transaction so it could go to public use in addition to individuals. Yeah, potentially. I don't see why not. I, I mean, there's there's ways. I mean, obviously, government's going to, American government's going to give a lot of money to, to defense. But, you know, in terms of like a city, is, you know, do just do municipalities able to get money from this transaction too? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So I don't, have we gone away from bias at this point? I don't know. I think it was an interesting conversation, so it was worth having. Uh, and, you know what? Maybe we. I'll uh, pick something up like this next time, uh, but we're we're already at almost an hour, so uh, oh, we should probably. Well, it'll be under an hour once I edit out portions of it, but we're at an hour, so yeah, it was a rocky start. Probably wrap wrap this up. Alrighty. Um, yeah, good conversation so, though. Yeah. So the question, like, we're not going to get rid of bias, but is there an awareness in how information's built that allows us to understand the biases better? Yeah, I think that was the whole point of that tangent in blockchain, right? Was that you yeah. un- you understand where your information is going because you have a record of who's accessing it. Right. Right. I think yeah, that'd be and, super and, useful. And the cherry on the cake, you get money, the government gets money, good things happen. Right. Everyone's but happy. the main thing is that you understand that your data is being used by your this X, Y, and Z algorithms to do X, Y, and Z and... And then, and then people who are smarter than us can go and sift through that data and find exactly what's going on. And, and be call the, people out because yeah. it's not going to be end of, It's not going to be like every. No, people aren't going to get out on their own and just like sift through their crap right. to see how these transactions are occurring. It, it, there's 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 going to be some sort of government organization or nonprofit organization or, or universities or or investigative journalists or things like that that yeah. are going to. People, people who care about stories are going to do that, and, and they're going to make the stories. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, good chat. Thanks we'll for listening. Next week yeah. with another topic. Another topic. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's it's it was good. We'll see ya.